0: Welcome to the Good, Bad, Mad podcast, a show that's here to share the ins and outs of creative careers, connecting the aspirational with the experienced, with your host, me, Meg Ellis. My guest for this episode is Alan Descregnoli. He's the CEO of film distribution platform FilmHub. In our chat, we're going to pull apart what film distribution currently looks like and how FilmHub plans to change it, to democratize it. For future filmmakers hope you enjoy it can we start with just can you introduce yourself a little and a little about your
1: background yeah definitely um so my name is Alan Descregnoli I'm the CEO and co-founder of FilmHub um I have an interesting background where I uh started out as a you know finance and uh finance almost accounting type person back in college and decided I wanted to get to, and also was uh, also a theater uh, nerd back in college and ran a theater organization. And uh, after school, I decided I could do the finance thing, but ultimately it wasn't very interesting to me and wanted to get to building products. Um, so I started off my career in fintech, uh, building products for Intuit uh, and Mint.com, uh, and eventually transitioned over into uh, building cloud storage solutions and more fintech solutions later on at Square and the Cash App. Um, and then uh, for the past few years, I've been building out uh, FilmHub, uh, which actually combines a lot of FinTech and storage uh, into you know, modernizing the world of film distribution. So how
0: yeah. did you get involved in film?
1: <laughs> well, so as I said, I had a, a background in uh, in theater production. And so mm-hmm. I've always had a bit of a creative interest. Um, and I met my uh, co-founder Klaus, who's a world-known composer uh, who'd written music to Pirates of the Caribbean and Gladiator um, and uh, a few small songs that we may have heard of uh, over time. Um, we get introduced through a mutual friend mm. and, uh, you know, him and I just really hit it off. He had been, you know, automating a lot of things for his composing career. Mm. Um, he was actually a part-time developer, uh, as well. And, you know, saw the opportunity to create some of the very interesting technology solutions to solve problems that we we're seeing in film distribution. And, uh, I had a, you know, deep background in kind of Building operational processes and, uh, and tech companies, and it was mm-hmm. kind of a marrying of two like minds. We both had you know very similar interests in kind of you know building something that was very uh, filmmaker first, and uh, it was a, a marrying of two minds. It's been you know a great journey for us.
0: Can we talk about what distribution is like currently? Or I mean, it's in, like say with you existing and with other platforms existing, it is in the process of changing but what is the traditional distribution method?
1: Totally. So traditional film distribution, um, and this is, I'm talking about traditional film distribution outside of the major studios, outside of the Lions Gates, the Disneys, We're the, you know, now, now Netflix. Um, technically considered independent, but I think one of the things that people don't realize is independent movies is actually like 98% of the industry yeah, <laughs> when you actually look at it. And so, uh, you know, independent thinks, everyone thinks if it's an independent film or a small film, well, actually you don't realize how many films, like yeah. actually 90 plus percent of films are, are independent films. Yeah, um, just they're not the talking to the That's the yeah
0: that's the exactly
1: Basically, that's, a, uh, that's an easy way to think about it, you know. Um, and so when you look at it in that way, the traditional film distribution method is you finance this film, Mm -hmm. Um, There's many different ways of financing. Sometimes you get upfront payments from people. Sometimes you get investors. Sometimes you try and sell off a territory, You know, many different options in that Mm -hmm. and how you finance the film. Um, You make the film. uh, Sometimes you have pre-negotiated contracts to the distributor is gonna take you on. Sometimes you try and get a sales agent. But anyways, once your film is done, your goal is either try and get a sales agent to sell it to a distributor, sell Mm -hmm. it to a streaming platform or distributor just to take it on. Mm -hmm. And typically in those rights, what they do is they take rights generally from anywhere between three to 15 years. And they either do it for a certain territory, certain number of services, certain rights types, whether it's, you know, the theatrical rights, whether it's the online video on demand rights, all things kind of, there's all variances under the sun. Oh yeah, there's a
0: category for everything. I mean, airplanes have their own category, don't they?
1: Exactly, yep. Hmm. And so, typically, a filmmaker then would sell off certain rights to either a distribution company or sales agent or a platform, Mm -hmm. and they would typically, sometimes they do upfront deals of like, hey, I'm taking the rights for X number of time for this amount, Um, or sometimes it's a revenue share based of like, hey, you know, we get the first, you know, the distribution company takes the first 100,000 and then everything else goes to the filmmaker, there's all these weird kind of, you know, models within that. But typically, one of the biggest problems in those deals is one, if they're full upfront deals, say the film actually is a huge success, the filmmaker doesn't share in any of the any of the benefit afterwards, Mm -hmm. after the initial upfront deal. So that's one big issue. Two, a lot of times these contracts allow for marketing expenses and other deductions. And so that means that say that a film, you know, say that a film, let's take a, a million dollar budget film. Well, the distribution company may have a right to deduct up to five hundred thousand dollars of marketing expenses. Let's say they deduct five hundred thousand dollars of marketing expenses, and then the filmmaker only has the right to make, you know, twenty percent of the extra revenues on top of the million dollars or something. The filmmaker could make very little money off of something that actually, for the mark, for the distribution company who's paying their people in marketing, et cetera, is actually a huge win for them. Right. And that's just, frankly, we think incorrect and not right. Mm-hmm. And we don't believe in that model at all. And we've seen this happen to countless filmmakers. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of times what happens is the distribution companies make a lot of money, and the filmmaker makes nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and then there's also problems around reporting, payment timelines. Everything's not transparent. You know, distribution companies are typically service-based, um, and you know, not necessarily thinking about this in how do we build scalable technologies. And so there's a lot of just problems that arrive there um, and kind of, you know, general, like there's a lot of distrust between a lot of uh, distribution companies and their filmmakers. And so what we've said is, you know what, we don't believe in the world of marketing deductions. We don't believe in the world, um, uh, you know, where filmmakers just get all these opaque deductions, everything. We said, let's create a simple model. Mm -hmm. And so we've, in Film Hub, what we've done is we've taken a very simple, basic model. Where we only make money when the filmmaker makes money. So mm-hmm. any royalties that we exploit um, on the filmmaker's behalf, we take a 20 percent revenue share and the filmmaker keeps 80 percent. Super simple, basic, no, pro- no deductions or anything. Straight 80, 20 revenue split. cost filmmakers to be the
0: contract.
1: Yep, exactly. And uh, and so it makes it super simple, and that way we're equally incentivized with our filmmakers. We want to make money because we're only going to make money when they make money. Yeah. And so it's very simple and basic there. Um, and it's creating a you know much simpler thing that you know filmmakers understand. We understand, um, and it creates just a level of transparency and ease, and also just alignment of what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. We're trying to make filmmakers money. That's that's all that we do, because. Yeah. If we can only make money when they make money, it aligns our incentives.
0: So what, I mean, I guess I guess starting a venture like this, it's just research, research, research,
1: right? I actually don't believe in much research when starting a venture, to be perfectly honest. How do you um, I firmly believe in actually getting something in the hands of your customers as early as possible. Okay. And um, so I, yes, you have to do some initial research and have an understanding of the landscape. Does the business model make sense? What is that exactly is there? But that doesn't take much kind of once you get there, like you have an idea, you believe there's an audience and you just need to get it in front of the customer. So we've actually, you know, we very much believe in shipping things as early as possible mm-hmm. in order to get features in front of our customers. Um, And so, you know, we had initial, you know, kind of validation just based upon, you know, the, uh, you know, filmmakers wanting to, you know, utilize our service as one thing and also uh, from our channels wanting to buy titles that we had Mm -hmm. um, and license them. And so between those two things, we began to see that there was a need uh, that was kind of unmet in the market um there was no real there's no platform actually right now that handles film distribution. Yes, there are some traditional encoding houses and distributors, but there's no technology platform uh, that is focused on the filmmaker that allows them to distribute their titles around the world. And that's what right. we became the the real, you know, insight for us was it was a completely unmet needed unmet needed market. And uh, it was much more everything was just focused on the traditional, you know, who you know, uh, how do you get there Um, and services businesses which aren't really you know that interesting
0: it's like considering considering how some elements of the film industry such as like vfx and um cameras and all of that there's been such developments in in the tech in that element it is actually quite surprising how archaic the industry runs itself still like it, it is who you know and for some, that's amazing because you've got the connections, you've got the people, boom, you're in. But for others without connections, it's a pain in the ass.
1: <laughs> exactly, and uh, and it frankly it leads to it's it, you know it's in the study of economics, right? It's the basics of you know limited resources. How do you connect to everything to make you know the perfect fit? Mm-hmm. And you know when things are in relationship based businesses, it breaks the world of economic principles, right? It's no longer, does the top, you know, do the top films make it to the top that have the best audiences? It's all about who you know. Mm -hmm. And that's not what, you know, that's not ultimately how you make an industry more efficient. If you rely solely on relationships and not actually looking at the data and having free and flexible systems that work to understand what films are wanted to see, see be seen by an audience, you miss out on opportunities. And so instead of, you know, films that are, you know, actually have an audience, what you end up seeing is just the films that get marketed a lot. And Mm. that is, you know, an inefficient methodology. And so, you know, it's just, it's who can spend more money. And that's, you know, what the larger, you know, players in the space, such as, you know, the Netflix's, the Hulu's, the Lionsgate's, the Disney's of the world. Mm-hmm. They have larger marketing budgets than most filmmakers at the, at the large studios at the top. And so they take up a you know, a greater portion of the market than they actually even should. Because while, yes, there are films that want to be seen by a lot of people, you know, top, the studio content ultimately isn't always the best content. Um, and that is you know, really one of the things that we see as an opportunity in the industry is to find the voices that haven't been heard and find the films that you know have been you know foregone by the traditional methodologies of distribution and get those films out to the world.
0: Okay. So to just break apart a bit of what you were saying there, we're talking about quality versus quantity to some extent. So we're saying sometimes lesser quality films are more successful because of marketing budgets whereas higher quality films are less accessible because they have less marketing budgets is that it in, in, exactly in
1: some way? exactly so and it's and also because of the relationships that the lesser quality films sometimes have right they, they don't have, have the
0: connections to the money
1: exactly they don't have necessarily the connections to the money or just the connections to the right platforms to be on right, right? and that's and and you know Ultimately, it's, you know, when a content buyer decides, hey, I want to show this title on my platform, they're making a human-based decision. Mm Human-based decisions are always inherently biased, right? Despite what we think. And, um, you know, our belief is that, and that was necessary, you know, in the world where 15, 20 years ago, you were relying on, or 10 even years ago, when you were relying on shelf space um, Mm -hmm. in, in a physical location. In the digital world, shelf space is unlimited. Mm -hmm. Um, Shelf space doesn't cost you nearly anything, you know, every platform could have every single film on it if they wanted to, Um, but ultimately, they've still chosen not to do it, um, because they haven't built technology solutions that are proper to ingest the number of assets that are needed.
0: Do you you think that's it? It's purely that rather than they're curating what they think will sell.
1: They're trying to curate what they think will sell. Mm. But what I'm saying is, I don't think that, you know, while yes, you know, we can also, you know, humans can do a good job at figuring out and like looking at data, analyzing it, trying to understand what people want to watch mm-hmm. and what to fund. But at the same time, we still are, once again, inherently biased and can be wrong, mm-hmm. right? Um, and also, there's always outliers and surprises that we never think about. And this happens across everything. And so, you know, by saying, hey, I can only take on 100 titles per month mm-hmm. uh, onto my streaming service, immediately you're missing, you know, X percent of titles that are, you know, potentially great performers. Right, you're limiting yourself. You're limiting yourself for potential, potential successes. Mm-hmm. And so that was necessary. You had to do that, unfortunately, in the old world where you had to see, you know, there was, I could only take 100 shelves, 100 titles onto my shelves in a month. Mm-hmm. But in the world where you're in a digital world, and you aren't actually limited to that, but you're, uh, you know, you can take thousands and thousands of titles. You you can, you know, spread your mechanisms of, you know, trying to figure out what's a winner um, much much wider. And that's a, you know, it's a pretty big benefit of technology. And it you know sure. makes it even more fair for the filmmaker if, uh, you know, if channels and uh, streaming services take on more titles.
0: So in in a way, kind of what you're describing as part was as the purpose of of your your site, your your um, business is to almost democratize the film distribution industry.
1: Exactly. You you actually that's exactly how we describe it. You hit it exactly spot on.
0: Yeah. yeah it is you, exactly you're trying to make it a completely equal
1: platform. Exactly. Um, when you submit a film to Film Hub, I don't care if your budget was five million dollars. I don't care if your budget was ten dollars. Mm-hmm. What I care about is seeing how it performs and how it's select- and how it's watched by f- by audiences around the world. That's going to tell me which films I need to put more effort behind, or my my technology will end up putting more effort behind of trying to promote it further to other streaming services to license. That's ultimately what matters. Is you know we say, hey, we are just a platform that is going to make sure that your technology. Um, I didn't fully explain kind of exactly how film works, but we mm-hmm. only judge a film based upon its technical quality and making sure that it meets the technical requirements of the platforms that we work with. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to judge anything based upon the content mm-hmm. other than, you know, the standard, you know, misinformation and, um, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, things that could be harmful to, to society. Right. Um, you know, those types of things. Um And, uh, but other than that, you know, we just want to judge, does it meet the technical bar? And then we'll let's see, you know, if a film finds its audience and that we know there's not, and it's, you know, we have the data that shows it, that's what matters to us.
0: Right. So I guess, I guess to um, analogize what you're doing, You're, you're laying out everybody's film in an equal stance. You're not putting some on pedestals over others, you're laying them out in an equal stance um, with the same kind of information, right?
1: We start them out on an equal stance, okay. right? We start them out in an equal stance, but as films begin performing, mm-hmm. right, then obviously they get promoted faster, more likely to more channels, you know, mm-hmm. because, um, but at the same time, we're waiting till we actually see performance data of those films. Right. Right. And, and performance data can be based on a number of things. It can be based on revenue. It can be based on, you know, number of channel buyers that are ordering it. Mm-hmm. It can be based upon IMDb ratings. Like we can mm-hmm. pull in all of those inputs to help us figure right. that out. Um, and, uh, but you know, they all start on the same equal basis of everyone can be on Film Hub. Right. Um, and that, that way leads it up to the filmmaker to find their audience. You know, the filmmaker, you know, they, their success is ultimately determined by, if they're able to find their audience for their film. They're gonna be placed alongside on these streaming services, on alongside the top, you know, blockbuster Hollywood content. And so, you know, when a filmmaker asked, "What, how much can I make on Film Hub? Well, the sky's the limit. You know, it's like, there's, the sky's the limit. If you find the audience for your film and you market it well, you know, there's no reason why you're making the same pay rates as a lot of these blockbuster titles are.
0: So I think that this is what I just pulled from that sentence is that, You're providing the platform, the the equal platform, but that doesn't mean it's gonna sell, you know? You still have to put the time, the effort and the money into the marketing as you would with any other product in order to make it, you're just giving it the equal starting line.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Great way of saying it. With you. I'm gonna hire you to do our marketing based but on hey. your, your breakdown <laughs> of this. <laughs>
0: People can spin quite a lot of things, so I think clarity in any kind of financial contract is exactly what you need, and yep. it's what is missing in kind of today's world. Well. Well, I mean, even opening a bank account is not simple.
1: Well, um, and don't forget, like in in traditional distribution, when there were actual like real hard costs, right? Mm-hmm. When there are actual hard costs around getting shelf space, around paying for DVDs you know, getting all those, you know, traditional methods, there were upfront costs, yeah. right? There were. And so it made sense, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, but in the world of digital, when the cost of delivering a title to a platform is mm. approaching zero, when the cost of holding a title on a platform is approaching zero, all of that changes. And so yeah. the business models have to change and evolve as well. Mm. So
0: I guess, I guess your model, of distribution correct me if i'm wrong but it works solely for those who have already made their film financed their film and made their film
1: yes we Um, only work with completed films yeah very simple like that's hard cut line we do not do any sort of film financing we only work with completed films
0: like uh, sometimes people do use distribution rights in order to help finance their films. Yep. But, but that's something yep. got, you're staying separate from
1: yep that's just an area where we we just do not work at at, at yeah. this time
0: so in in terms of um someone's made their film they've approached you they're, they're 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 on your um they're on your platform they're on your channel from that point on it's up to i guess channels or or companies who you've built these relationships with to come and kind of cherry pick what they want their content to be?
1: Yep. It's always up to the channels to decide if they want to take on a title. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, some channels are, uh, you know, heavier heavier on their curation and take only a few titles from Mm -hmm. us per month. And some channels take hundreds of titles from us per month totally depends on up to thousands mm-hmm. um you know it totally depends on the service um and kind of what their you know general strategies are yeah we generally believe in you know making you know that every title should be on pretty much every platform mm-hmm. um if you know depending on if it like fits like in with their genre or theme etc mm-hmm. um but uh you know that's kind of our belief but it is ultimately up to you know the the channels um if they take it on you know we're but once again talking about equally incentive it's on our goal that you know we have as many chance as many titles on as many channels as possible um because that's the way that we make money
0: yeah so so say a channel approaches you about a, a particular film um what what happens then does does the do you deal with that um arrangement does the filmmaker get involved because they could say now nah, i don't w- i don't want myself on that channel for some reason like it, what what's that conversation like
1: yeah so we have pre-negotiated rates with all of the channels that we work with and mm-hmm. this is one of the things that's key to our business model um is that we you know because the fact we have such a large library we can utilize that to our power to negotiate the right rates with with our streaming partners mm-hmm. and um so within that then as soon as the channel selects a title it is automatically delivered into their, you know, delivery settings that we have custom set up for each channel in mm-hmm. three to five business days, which is very unique in the industry and makes channels, you know, a lot of channels have said sometimes, that they, hey, we're actually only going to be taking titles from FilmHub now because right. of the fact they like that it's so easy um, from, you know, deals that are already pre-negotiated, the, you know, the t- titles they know are like in good technical state. Um, and so it makes them more likely to select titles using FilmHub than it is, you know, via a lot of traditional distribution companies where assets may not have been properly QC'd. Um, they, you know, sometimes assets are missing, like all of these certain problems that they have uh, within that. Um, and um, and so the good thing is we have, you know, industry standard rates, agra- everything, so it's very simple um, and easy, you know, for mm-hmm. our fil- filmmakers because they know that, automatically, you know, they are getting the best possible rates.
0: Mm-hmm. So ultimately, if, if a filmmaker is, is thinking about using your, your distribution method as opposed to... Well, okay, that's the question. Does a filmmaker who is in that process of choosing how to go through their distribution for the, for the movie, is it an either or, or situation? Can they do the traditional methods and your method, or is it one or the other?
1: Great question. So from our side, we take, film. you know, FilmHub is a technology platform, right? Mm-hmm. And while we're not, we're not a distributor, we're not an aggregator, like the technical details as to how we kind of make things work is we have to take rights to the film. And so the rights that we get are non-exclusive. Right. Um, when filmmakers upload their films to FilmHub. Mm-hmm. And so within that, it makes it super simple um, that they can utilize any sort of other distribution methodology that mm-hmm. they want to from our side. So we don't care, actually. We believe, actually, it's great if they are working with, you know, someone else to get up in on a location that we don't work with. We actually think that's beneficial to us because it just means that the notoriety of that film is going to increase and more people are going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And we believe that... Th- you know, as I said, we believe that film should be on as many locations as possible. So we have to, we have to, in order to do that, we have to back that up. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that allows us then to, for the filmmaker to fully maintain their rights, which is a big d- differentiator on FilmHub, mm-hmm. is they haven't, they haven't sold off any rights to FilmHub. They've only granted us temporary, non-exclusive rights to uh, to license their title to the streaming services to require to basically to do the legal ease necessary to distribute their film.
0: So say one day they wake up decide I never want to see any I don't want anyone to ever see my film ever again. They can take it off the platform. That will immediately take it off any of the channels. It's that easy.
1: Yep, that easy. Jesus Christ. I've, <laughs> I, I <laughs> yep. I, it doesn't happen immediately. It takes the takes a, the the channels typically about thirty days to take it off. Sometimes, depending on the service. Yeah. Um. But uh, yes, it is that simple. We don't have any sort of long term contracts uh, or lock up periods. Um. You know, everything is. You know, we keep it super simple from that perspective. Mm-hmm. I just believe that you know. For a relationship to be working, for you happy both parties have to be happy. And if they're not happy, it just leads to problems. And so if a filmmaker says, hey, you know, my film isn't making enough money on FilmHub, then, and I'm not getting up on enough channels and I'm unhappy with them, okay, well, that's fine. You know, Mm -hmm. typically the reason that happens is because the filmmaker actually hasn't been marketing their title at all. Mm -hmm. um, Or their film, unfortunately, doesn't necessarily have a market on the services we work with. Mm -hmm. But there's no risk to just sitting there, right? there's there's no risk because they can one, take it down. Two, if they want, you know, they can always, um, you know, utilize other methodologies of, you know, marketing and other methods of distribution. Hmm. So we fully allow it to happen. And so there's really no risk from a filmmaker perspective and that's key. Yeah.
0: No, it is, it is Uh, because I mean, especially with creative industries, I mean, yes to other industries, but with creative industries, people put so much heart and soul into these projects. You know, they are their babies. They want to look after them. They want to know that they're getting seen and appreciated. I mean, yes, they want to make some money, but more than that, I think they just want to make sure they're looked after.
1: Totally. I mean, it's, you know, to become a filmmaker, you have to have incredible passion, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, it's like, if you are, you know, Looking at this as like, you know, it's a field of passion, right? Like, yes, sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you make money. Sometimes you don't, um, you know, but at the same time, it is a career of passion. And you just want to make sure that things like that are fair and just mm-hmm. that you're getting paid, mm-hmm. um, you know, when things are happening and, you know, people are, are true to their commitments. And that's, you know, we just mm-hmm. think that that level of transparency isn't hard actually to build. Unfortunately, the way that the industry is built typically in the traditional gatekeeper methodology, old style distribution companies, the incentives aren't equally aligned. And so, you know, we're building the technology platform that is aligned with the filmmaker.
0: No, I think so. I I think transparency is is kind of a key word I'm going to take away from this because there is a reason why kind of all the wealth of the industry is kind of in this like top little 2% of the, the like this huge huge um mountain of of people and work that that is out there but it is it's all cloak and daggers you know and with a little bit of transparency and just simply understanding how the industry works then people can actually move forward in their careers
1: totally um, i mean there's no reason like it's just like unfortunately right now it's like if you're not a member of the the film country club Basically, you have no way of getting there, right? Yeah. And with technology, we have the tools and solutions that you can prove every country club member that you're that they are wrong. Yeah. And you know the tools and solutions are there now. I mean, mm-hmm. you could make a you know beautiful film for anywhere from ten thousand dollars to fifty million dollars, mm-hmm. right? But you now no longer are required to do that through a large studio because of technology that's mm-hmm. here. And that's the big difference. You know, there are amazing films being re- released on a daily basis that have never touched a studio mm. and that are better than any studio content mm. that's been produced. Mm. And that wasn't, you weren't capable of releasing that type of film 20 plus years ago. It was really yeah. hard for the most part. Yeah. Now the tools are there.
0: It is and it ultimately it comes down to technology, doesn't it? And because it's yeah. advanced so much and it's become so much more affordable in comparison to what it was 10, 20 years ago. Uh, yeah. That is an equalizing uh, yeah. tool in itself, isn't it?
1: I mean, um, I've seen I've seen films now produced for hundred thousand dollars that look much better than films produced for five million dollars. Mm. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy, you know it. It really, you know, money and budget does not equal a, an amazing film. Now, yeah. you know, the number of channel buyers that I talk to, they're like, well, what was the budget? It doesn't matter. Yeah, it really doesn't matter. What matters is looking at the production value looking at the acting you know seeing uh you know look at the script writing those are what really actually matters you have to go down the budget does not necessarily dictate that
0: yeah so let's let's talk a little bit about channels because i think that would be kind of probably one of the key things that people approaching your platform will be thinking about Mm -hmm. who like where is this actually going to go i mean people i mean to to be crass, people will be wanting to get onto platforms like Amazon. They're w- wanting to get onto platforms like Netflix, HBO um, yep. Player, and stuff like that. Like, are, are they part of what what you can offer?
1: Yeah, totally. So, um, so the way you look at this is that we are, you know. We are working to make partnerships with every single you know, avenue possible for films, right? Like that's our goal. So once again, we're equally incentivized there. Um, we work with majors such as Amazon Prime Video, Tubi, IMDb TV, Zumo, Plex, all of these services that are growing throughout the world, and um, including like local, regional, small players. So Nuella TV launching in Africa right now. Um, you know, everything is basically you know, and this is like these are channels that would be typically unattainable. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for a lot of filmmakers um, in a lot of instances, but, you know, we make it so it's super simple that they can reach them. Mm -hmm. There are some of the majors like the Netflixes, the Hulu's of the world that frankly are now just large studios. They're only for the most part focused on their own, you know, content that they're producing. Like, yes, they're occasionally licensing some large actor name titles, et cetera, but for the most part, they really act as their own studios now. That's one thing that people don't really necessarily realize that the major streamers are just studios now. Yeah. They yeah. They, 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 st- they stood out there to disrupt the, the studios in the past and they have disrupted the studio model by building you know subscription streaming businesses but at the same time now they don't you know they aren't taking on you know thousands and thousands of titles like they you know originally a lot of people thought they were. They're becoming more and more curatorial in their efforts mm-hmm. and Shutting out the doors to the filmmakers that help them build their services, right? And that's a big change, you know, from what a lot of these services set out to be.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, just mentioning channels in Africa. Then, so your the territories that you cover are global.
1: Yes, yes, we cover channels all over the world. We work mm-hmm. with about uh, currently about forty plus streaming services. Uh, we call them channels at Film Hub, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they are around the world we're adding you know typically about two to four per month right now
0: because you're distributing to to global territories are you seeing greater diversity within the content that you yourselves get submitted
1: totally i mean for instance i'll give you an example one of the things that we you know see a lot of um uh, we had a channel called Alice that launched recently um, that is focused on women filmmakers, women leads, and women directors. Um, and one of the one of the most amazing things is when we actually like, you know, helped them curate their, you know, titles to review, we had a disproportionately high compared to traditional catalogs, number of women filmmakers and women leads because of the fact that we work with traditionally underrepresented um, filmmakers and it's one of the things that was really interesting for us to see as we went through that and you know because typically uh you know catalogs that are based on kind of the old traditional gatekeepers they don't have a lot of you know underrepresented filmmakers black cinema for instance is an area that we do extremely well in mm-hmm. and this is because these are you know groups that haven't had access to uh you know the, the the country clubs right and um it's one of the things that we see and it's one of the things we see is like one of the main benefits is these are Huge populations of filmmakers, as well as huge populations of audiences that uh, have been traditionally underserved in these industries, and that's one of our uh, the awesome things that we're beginning to see is you know these are areas that are growing extremely fast, and the you know the traditional industry is trying to catch up, mm-hmm. but ultimately is still you know it's still playing the gatekeeper methodologies that it played, played has played in the past, while saying okay well, you know what, we're going to set a certain quota here to take this number of films um, from, you know, Black filmmakers. Well, that's not, that doesn't get you there, right? It's, um, you know, yes, you have to sometimes, you know, you know, kind of set requirements that you do that, but at the same time, it's like you have to fully change a systemic bias in the industry. (laughs) And that's not exactly something that, uh, you know, an industry that, you know, has a systemic bias is capable of doing overnight. Mm. Whereas for us at Film Hub, you know, we rely on data, and so we can't, you know, necessarily have a bias in when we rely on data to promote promote a film. You know, we just say, hey, this film's performing better than this one. This is the next one that this channel is going to review. Right. Makes it simpler. Yeah,
0: you're you're thinking <laughs> ones and zeros. You're not you're not thinking about um, if. Um, I don't know, Leonardo DiCaprio is in the film versus I don't know. I don't like, care.
1: I don't care if I don't I don't care if Leo is in the film, to be honest yeah. with you. What I care is that this film is monetizing. That's what I care about. <laughs> you
0: know, the, the the filmmakers that are submitting to to you, um are they are they mainly kind of American, European?
1: So being you know since we launched in the United States, we're you know heavily indexed right now to the United States um but uh ultimately you know we are built as a global platform and we have filmmakers around the world we have yeah. filmmakers um literally I think now the numbers is from forty plus countries actually mm. um and it's you know growing quickly around the world from that side well, so this, you know and, this is yeah.
0: this is the kind of thing that I've been noticing within um within articles, industry um, discussions and stuff like that at the moment is that these kind of countries which have almost been used by the film industry in terms of locations and in terms of um, stories and kind of me- like made Hollywoodized, but yep they're wanting to get their foot in the film industry but they're not the capitals you know they're not LA they're not London they're not um Mollywood, you know but yeah I essentially what I think I'm trying to say is I think the film industry is expanding
1: totally I mean it definitely is I think um you know, I think uh, we are making good headway in that, right? As we've come a more globalized world, mm-hmm. but we're still so far. We're still so far, you know. Oh, it is. I, I mean, there, there is, it's,
0: what, maybe three, four film capitals in the world?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that, like, that is ultimately um, where, you know, platforms like FilmHub can be, you know, helpful in that because you know, we take it from a de- democratic approach of saying, hey, you know, can we sell this film? You know, can this, is there an audience for this film? And like, we are every day surprised, you know? I mean, we have films that are uh, foreign films, you know, that, uh, you know, launch in the United States and do extremely well. We have films that are, go from the United States into foreign countries and do extremely well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, we're constantly surprised. And so I think like, that's where, you know, we just need to realize that, once again, the costs are approaching zero to see that. And, you know, it used to matter of like, hey, can I get my film into a movie theater in Bangladesh? Um, but ultimately now it doesn't matter. It's like, is there someone with an internet connection in Bangladesh that can see my film? That's all that yeah. matters. And so that's, you know, it changes where all of a sudden we're, we're at a much more level playing field. Hmm.
0: Do you do, um, I should have asked this earlier when you were talking about it, but, um... Are you exclusively like VOD or do you do theatrical as well?
1: We don't do theatrical right now. You know, we're trying to pick an area of focus and we're really focused on VOD for the, you know, foreseeable future. Um, but as the benefit for filmmakers, right, is we're non-exclusive. And so if they want to go do a theatrical release, we we more yeah. than encourage it.
0: So ultimately you're, you're, you're just cornering this one vacant area of the market and, and you're going to do that and do it well, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: exactly brilliant so one last question for you um, what what advice would you give having kind of lived in this film distribution tech element for <laughs> for a while now? Um, yeah. what advice would you give to someone who is lost amongst this this um area of industry who, who wants to put their film, but, but just doesn't (laughs) know, like, what, what would you say to them?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I think, um, the first thing that I approach with every single filmmaker, and I really try to understand when we talk to them is number one, what are your actual goals? And Mm -hmm. the number of filmmakers I talk to that have not thought about what their actual goal is in this film is shocking. Mm -hmm. So as with anything, write down your goal is your goal to write a short that pitch that gets you the money to you know investors to then you know make that short into a feature is that, what does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. Is this something you're trying to build your career out of? Is this something where you're like you know actually I'm going to have a, my careers mean something else but I want this to be my side project and my, I want to take a year off between you know gigs to you know to make a film like ultimately like that's the number one thing is right is what are your actual goal of making a film mm-hmm. and you know is it to return money to investors like all those things are super important. So it starts with number one, writing your goals. Number two is most important thing is treating each film like a business. Every film is a business. Um, and it's one of the hardest things about thinking about filmmaking is you're launching a new business every single time you make a film. Yeah. You're saying, here's the product that I'm going to build and I need to see if there's an audience to do it. Mm-hmm. So. One of the things, as I mentioned, like at FilmHub, we believe in getting things in the hands of our audiences as early as possible. As a filmmaker, you should believe the same thing. You should be trying to build your audience along the way as you go about making your film, not just about when you have a finished product. You should have your potential audience as part of the filmmaking journey. Get them involved in the process early. If it's a horror film and you know that there are you know, fans of XYZ horror film, f- talk to them get to know them, build a marketing list around them. They're the people that are going to support you. And those are the people that are going to be your ultimate launching bed for your film. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And, and then three, as you're building your audience, realize that you need to start marketing to them, continue marketing to them Mm -hmm. and keep that process going throughout the launch of your film. It's not just, hey, I think I know there's an audience. It's you need to build that up as something that is part of your filmmaking journey. And it's, you know, continually, continually marketing to them. Because, and you want to keep building that list over and over again. Because uh, it's, you know, as soon as you get them there, they're hooked Mm -hmm. and they know your brand. Then, you know, they can, that can be the same audience potentially for your next film. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you as a filmmaker today, it's no longer, you're trying to build your brand as a filmmaker not just the brand of the film mm-hmm. right and that's one of the most important things is building true brand as a filmmaker and that's mm-hmm. a very big change and very similar you know how the music industry operates as artists right filmmakers need to take that same approach because when an artist goes and a music artist goes and launches their new album they already have a following they know mm-hmm. the audience they want us to watch them yeah. that's a gr- it's the same reason why Disney launches a new Marvel movie every three years. There's an audience already built. Yeah. Take and learn from this. If you have, you know, if, if you're, you know, build your audience as a filmmaker and you will change the outcome of X, you know, your second, your third, your fourth film yeah. is gonna change significantly. And that's a big difference in the way that filmmakers need to change how they think.
0: But this is it, it's um, a, it's a yeah. long journey. Um... Like, yeah. yes, you've got these. It, I like the way you describe it. It's small businesses as you go. and, and But ultimately within that, it's sales, isn't it? Yeah. You've, got, you've got to sell yourself as the product.
1: Yeah. The best filmmakers, frankly, you know, the filmmakers that are most successful aren't necessarily the best filmmakers right now. Mm-hmm. They're the best business people yeah. that know how to make a decent film that's sellable. Mm-hmm. And it's in, you know, I think that's one of the things that, if filmmakers start concentrating a bit more on the business side and learning that, and realizing that to be an amazing filmmaker today, you also have to be a, a strong business person.
0: Yeah, you can't just the start passion change. take over. Like it's such can't a big part, but it is a business.
1: It is a business, and that's ultimately where you have to think and realize that. And it's super important to think with that mindset. And I realize it's you know it's not necessarily something that every you know filmmaker wants to go. You know, they're they're creatives. They want to, you know, they want to create a film. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, you really to be successful, you have to think about the business side.
0: It's true. I get I was just thinking about what you were saying about building the audience as you're going. I think that's why so many successful films nowadays are based off of books or
1: or
0: tv series because they've already got their built in audience not only are they buying the rights to the, the story they're buying the rights to the audiences aren't they
1: completely completely mm. that's that's ex- it's exactly why they do that you know it's exactly why the you know studios now don't frankly release much new content yeah it's all remakes for the most part or you know retelling of stories you know mm. why did everyone why did you know amazon pay so much for coming to America* too? Well, they knew that it already had an audience, Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, they knew that like everyone who'd watched coming to America one was probably going to want to watch coming to America too. I, for one only made it five minutes through coming to America Two because it was so awful in comparison to the original, but, uh, <laughs> no, no,
0: no, I've not seen either. So I can't comment.
1: Oh. Oh, *Coming to America* one is is legendary. Uh, Eddie Murphy at his finest. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think I uh, think,
0: I f- I feel yeah. like Eddie Murphy is one of those marmite people. Like you love him or you hate him. I've just
1: never. <laughs> uh it's it is. I mean, it's it's definitely a, a certain type of humor I would say. But you know, the, the first one is amazing, amazing writing. You know, uh, but the second one just falls flat. It was, it was I, I it was honestly offensive the way the second one was uh, written i think
0: <laughs> i know you do i do hate it when they just they cheap out on the time yeah. and the, the kind yeah. of effort
1: anyway yeah
0: alan thank you so so much <laughs> it's wonderful awesome
1: Meg. Um, well, thank you for having me
0: no not at all thank you guys for <laughs> great work thank you for listening to this episode of the good bad mad podcast Please subscribe to check out the next episode or leave a review if you liked it you can find us on instagram at goodbadmad or at goodbadmad.com for additional resources and information see you next time